Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode. Uh, we are inaugurated for another another term. Woohoo! I'm chilling in the state house. I, I guess am- that wasn't very chill, Andrew. <laughs> that was a little. Oh wow, man, that's great. <laughs> well, the the woohoo also doubles as an end of the first week. Yeah, that's true. I'm excited that the first week is in the books. And we get a three-day weekend. Uh-huh. That's great. I'm Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal State House team. We'll let you get your introduction out now. <laughs> well, the people need to know who our dismembered voices are. Yes, that's are. right. I am Jason Tidd, the other half. Better half. And we're joined, as always, by John Hanna, the Associated Press. John, good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. I act like we do the podcast not with you <laughs> yeah, on. Uh, yeah, with that I come in from California or someplace or New York or <laughs> Texas. John Hanna saying good to be back and doing the hand movement is yes. something that uh, happens every podcast. <laughs> Well, the reason that we are... We're, and we're going to make Andrew sing falsetto here at some point. <laughs> well, I could sing Home on the Range at the end. That would be appropriate. Uh, but you have to sing it really, really <laughs> high. I don't think anyone wants that. No, probably not. <laughs> well, the reason we're a little slap happy is because it, it was a busy week uh, in the Kansas State House. Uh, under the dome, uh, there are a lot more folks hanging out. Uh, than there than there were uh, the first week of the 2023 legislative session is in the books. The governor, attorney general, all the statewide offices, and all the legislators have been sworn in for another term. Uh, the pomp and circumstance is mostly dispensed with, and I say mostly, and we'll we'll cover why in a little bit. But uh, Jason, John, how we feeling? Are we uh, well, of course, we're chill, Andrew. <laughs> oh, that's we're, true. I, that goes without saying. It goes without saying that we're chill, but it was an interesting week. Um, what number of first week of session was this for you? I think it's. I think the actual number is something like thirty-eight. That's impressive. And you, and it doesn't. You don't look a day over. Uh, I don't look a day over fifty-five. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there, John. <laughs> I was going to say twenty-five. But. <laughs> I have a young soul. That's what I'll. That's what I'll say. I have the soul of somebody in the mid twenties, and that's why you're a co-host. Yeah, um, it, it was my first week. Uh, yeah, I, that's I was right. here last session, but I missed the first few days. Uh, so I got to experience the wide-eyed freshman lawmakers looking for the bathrooms and meeting lobbyists for the first time. Uh, and the first week really does have a big first day of school energy to it, where mm-hmm. it's, you're seeing people you haven't seen for a few months. You know, it's it's very you're much... You're seeing people maybe you don't want to see for a few months. <laughs> uh, you know, going yeah, over if the you're, rules. If, yeah, going over the rules. Finding the bathroom. Yeah, and all the, of that. The principal comes in and gives a big first day of school speech. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, maybe the best. that's the best place to start, even though it was probably the part of the week that was the longest on uh, ceremony and had the least policy news value <laughs> but at least we weren't chilling outside the state house it's true it was a beautiful day for uh the inauguration swearing in of of the governor uh jason her speech really was kind of a continuation of the big themes we heard from her during the campaign 
specifically references to uh, the middle of the road, even though she was not standing in the middle of the road this time. Yeah, the, the governor was standing on a stage at the south steps of the Kansas State House, not in the middle of the road where the uh, cannons with some blank rounds of ammunition were pointed. Uh, they forgot the- to point them at the docking building, but <laughs> and not use blanks. Yes. Uh, uh, the yeah. Although I will salute. say there are people who like the architecture of the docking building, so you know, yes. and are sad to see it brought down. But anyway, the nineteen gun salute. Yeah, for the governor's inauguration. Her speech was, as Andrew said, focused on being middle of the road, bipartisanship, civility, uh, all the uh, platitudes that you would expect of a first day of session speech. And they were mirrored uh, by her Republican counterparts in the legislature who also spent the first day talking about bipartisanship and civility. Well, and even it was interesting at the inaugural ball, which I got uh, dolled up and, and went to. We, we uh, had a ball at the ball having a ball. You've just been waiting to get that joke out yes, there. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Senate President Ty Masterson, even in his toast, uh, toasted the governor and said, here's to governing from the middle of the road, uh, which was kind of a, was an interesting well, nod I'm, to her, her signature it, Yeah, that line. does sound interesting, of course. Probably Ty Masterson's definition of middle of the road and Laura Kelly's definition it of don't. middle of the road are a little different. And, I mean, we could even bring in Boog Heiberger's definition of middle of the road. Sure, true, yeah. Or Do you know Miller. I was in college at the same time as Boog Heiberger, Yeah, wasn't he student way? body president? Uh, vice president. I think uh, that could be a whole podcast episode of itself, the John Hanna college days. There are some things I've forgotten, Andrew. (laughs) Forgotten or cannot say on a family podcast? Uh, Probably both. There are probably instances of both. Um, Also, you know, I have, uh, well, since she's an adult, my daughter, maybe she can hear the stories now. Um, Maybe she can hear the stories now. uh, now that she's grown up, um, but they were definitely not appropriate when she was, say, a teenager. It would have given her ideas. Well, John, I found it interesting, kind of an interesting contrast between the rhetoric we heard on inauguration, which I I had a lot of fun, actually, with the ceremony of the inauguration. It's kind of fun to be reminded of how, uh, you know, it's kind of humbling. It's a it's a big beat, a big job, a big state. It's kind of fun to be reminded. And it, of it had those cool banners: innovation, unity, and prosperity, and good music. Uh, yeah, yes. very good music. The T High Jazz Band, Hoy yeah. Hoy Mighty Troy. Yeah, a, as we say. Uh, I think Maria the Mexican singer yeah, a from really Topeka. good uh, duo, and they did an excellent cover of Home on the Range. And uh, yes. Barbara Ballard. A Democrat from Lawrence and Adam Thompson Thomas. or Thomas, sorry, a Republican from forgive me, Olathe, uh, uh, did a duet that was perhaps joined by some of the thousand or so people in attendance to sing "Home on the Range." No, they did the national or anthem. They, yeah, did they? yeah. Excuse me, they did the national anthem. And while "Home and, on the Range" ought to be the national anthem, <laughs> it's and, not. And, yeah. and for the Chiefs fans listening, there was no uh, "Home of the Chiefs" at the end. But you know, John, and, and I know you were at this press conference with me. It was an interesting duality of the rhetoric from Republicans on day one. 
the inauguration, kind of an olive branch extended. And on day two, when they rolled out their policy agenda, which I find notable to say that did not happen the last couple of years when former Speaker Ron Ragman was in there. And I think that is a telling uh, detail that that they are now having a unified uh, uh, across the two chambers. Well, and of course, we'll see how how unified they remain throughout the session. Um, An open question from everyone I've talked to. I mean, you know, you had this interesting moment when uh, you had Ty Masterson, the Senate president, talking about the uh, 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 combating the woke sexualized agenda, uh, talking about how he's concerned that uh, there's too much of a focus on gender and identity and all that stuff, sexuality, and uh, would like to pursue legislation to uh, deal with it, what's taught in classrooms, discussed in classrooms on sexuality issues. And, you know, then you go and you talk to Dan Hawkins, and he suggests he has a different definition of woke, but we should Google it. Um, from some of the reports I've seen. So, you know, there's an area right there where you can see some discussions and push and pull, uh, not, you know, way outside the bounds of where Republicans are generally on education policy, but maybe maybe a couple of different priorities. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, their agenda obviously is much more conservative than the governors and, and, and the Democratic caucuses. So while they kept to the optimistic rhetoric, I mean, they're pursuing a program that, uh, I mean, there's bound to be a clash with the governor on some of it. I mean, they're, they're going to pursue the bill to ban transgender athletes in girls and women's club K-12 and college sports. Um and she's vetoed it twice. There's no reason to believe she won't veto it a third time. Um, when we asked her about the bill that was introduced to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth, people under 21, uh, we asked the governor Tuesday, and Tuesday was an interesting day. We asked her Tuesday about that, and she said, well, you, you can guess how I feel. Uh, although she's frequently told us not to guess how she feels. Um, I did find that interesting. Thinking of how the governor felt on Tuesday, that was the day we found out that she had a positive COVID test. Uh, later well, found out yes. that it was a false positive, but not before the cancellation of the state of the state address, leaving a big hole in our schedule and our heart. Well, it'll be it'll be coming in uh, loud and clear on the twenty fourth. So the twenty fourth, stay January. stay by your Kansas yeah, public not, television not, feed. Yeah, we didn't learn it was a false positive in that until I'd spent a couple of days shoving swabs halfway up my nose to, and I negative tests on my part, so, which we're happy about. Well, I'm happy about that too. So, um, well, in in. Uh, the, the Republicans have an eight-point an eight point plan, and we won't go through point by point, but I, I think kind of a range of things. They're signaling they're going to want to look at uh, restricting uh, welfare. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think there was some interest in that last session, and then there's now a new committee in the House specifically taking well, and, a look and, at and that. And what's interesting about that is that, that we – 
Jason, we were in the Senate Public Health and Welfare Committee, and what is kind of driving that or seems to be driving it, and uh, I think Dan Hawkins, the House Speaker, alluded to it, was that there are a lot of people who are being covered by Medicaid who have not had their eligibility for Medicaid checked since the beginning of the pandemic. That's been a federal policy. Well, now the federal government is saying, okay, you're going to go back, give us a plan to start rechecking everybody's eligibility on an annual basis and that's probably going to cut 105,000 people out of about 525,000 people off of Medicaid and the Department of Health and Environment is saying well you know we're developing a plan that as their eligibility determination the anniversary of that comes around then we'll look at it again and the response from Republicans seemed to be, well, can't you guys speed it up some and get these people who are no longer eligible off the rolls? All right, it was the vice chair, yeah. Senator Renee Erickson of Wichita, who pretty much said uh, she urged KDHE to speed up yeah. taking the people off in the interest of uh, taxpayers. Yes. Though it is unclear if taxpayers have actually really had to foot the bill for this they have they've not it's basically been a deal between the state and the federal government well people would argue that federal tax dollars come from somewhere well Um, hopefully new york and california well but i mean this is not a kansas problem and and actually it's a nationwide uh, issue if you want to read 1400 words on this uh i have a story on it uh back in november i think on cjonline.com so Plug, plug that real quick. Another interesting thing is um, Republicans were signaling uh, they are going to want to buckle down on investment firms, companies that they say take into account environmental, social, and governance factors in determining investment decisions. Uh, this has been a nationwide thing, and I think State Treasurer Stephen Johnson is on board. Uh, BlackRock, the, the major... Um, investment fund is kind of the, the big target of this, but there are some unknowns as to what that legislation will well, look and like. Well, and, and it's, uh, it was a little confusing how far they're, they're determined to go, because on the one hand, it sounded like they want to make sure that the pension fund isn't hiring, the state pension fund isn't hiring managers that do this kind of, it's called ESG, right? Investing. This Environmental, kind of, social, governance. Yeah, kind of woke investing, as as Republicans call it. And and then there was a clause in there about having the attorney gen encouraging the attorney general to investigate companies that impede uh, the oil and gas, the fossil fuel industry. And it's like and the question is, well, what does that mean exactly? And I think I think everyone's going to have to see the text of whatever bill is out there. Um, But it's a question of are you. Uh, restricting what state government contractors are doing with investments, or are you now stepping into the private sector which and is telling a, what local which, banks and credit unions in Kansas can and can't do? Which is something that traditionally Republicans have always not wanted to do. They've always been in favor of letting the market decide and um, less regulation. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see what they come up with. What I'm, what I'm struck by in all of this 
is that the reason you're seeing some of these trends is that it's a market thing that there are investors out there who don't want to invest in fossil fuels there is a sense slowly perhaps that the private markets are moving away from fossil fuels and toward green energy and that's just i mean with all of the concern about climate change now there are a lot of consumers who are actively seeking things that they don't believe will hurt the will hurt the environment and climate and so to what extent if you start doing legislation like this are you fighting market forces and intervening in the market? In the interest, I should say, the, the rationale for these usually is Republicans say they don't want to, uh, they want to make sure that we are not limiting ourselves on the, the best possible return right. for, for pursuing ideological ends. One could argue that 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 is also kind of what legislation, and I will say during the campaign, Treasurer Stephen Johnson said he did not want to go in that direction which is why it's interesting to me now that he appears to be on board with well, what, a potential what, what plan. What Stephen Johnson said was that what should drive investment decisions is what, you know, the fiduciary responsibility of earning the best return you can for the, for example, the pension fund and it's the people it serves and not serving a political ideology. And I, I have to say generally over the years, Capers has been fairly non-political. I, th- I do think there was a this discussion back in the day about investments in companies doing business in South Africa, and they did have a discussion about, for example, investments in Russia. Not very much, um, and you know, in some states, they're talking about whether the state has investments in China. That now seems to be a growing trend. And we do have something on the books, correct me if I'm wrong, about businesses with Israel. Yes, there is a law. There was a Ben and Jerry's issue. uh, Yeah, there is a a law. There is a law about not... It's, it's, you, you can investors, it's anti-BDS, You right? can't invest or support country, uh, companies that uh, have boycotted or divested from Israel. And we also, on the books, still have, I believe, I don't think it was ever repealed, a law saying we can't do business with, uh, uh, or we can't invest in Sudan, Sudanese companies. Yeah. And, uh, coming back to Darfur. So. Well, and, and um, what's interesting about that, that uh, anti, uh, and I can't, remember what bds stands for but basically it's a boycott divestment right it's a pro-palestinian rights position and uh and an anti-israeli government position although you can have you could have multiple multiple people on this podcast who are far more uh, versed in these issues than I am, you know, you get all uh, you get all kinds of discussion of what that movement is and what it means. But the first version of that law had constitutional speech, free speech problems, and then they rewrote it so that it could pass court muster. I I do want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about what is probably the the governor's big policy, uh, uh, probably her biggest policy 
statement uh, of the session, and that was Thursday, the rollout of her budget proposal. $24 billion for fiscal year 2024. $24 billion here, $24 billion there. Sooner or later, you're, you're no. talking real money. But how much of it was SGF? Uh, about 9.4, 9.5, if I'm recalling. John Hanna, always on the ball. Uh, Jason, real quick, uh, walk us through what stood out to you in the governor's budget proposal. Well, uh, so when I was talking with uh, Representative Troy Waymaster, a Republican from Bunker Hill and the top budgeter in the House uh, after uh, the hearing, uh, he said that he wasn't all that surprised. Uh, it was a lot of what they expected, uh, paying down debt. Uh, and one-time expenses were a big part of it. Uh, there is a one-time expense, about $50 million for uh, paying off debt for the reservoirs through the water office, uh, about $220 million going to an infrastructure hub to try to help get uh, matching grants, or maybe not matching, but grants from the federal bipartisan infrastructure law. The idea is, is that there are a lot of local communities that don't have the extra money to put up to lure the federal funds. So the state will set aside this money and give it to local units of government so that they... This is something multiple states are doing. But, but there were two pieces of the one-time payments that kind of stood out to me. First, there is no extra money for capers this time around. Uh, the governor's office thinks that we have now put enough money into capers. And Republicans, uh, talking with Senate President Ty Masterson yesterday, he was okay with that. And then second, the rainy day fund, the, the governor wants to put another half billion dollars or so into there uh, and make some structural changes but she doesn't think that they need to go past that amount uh, and that it actually would not be good to put more money than that into the rainy day fund. And Republicans would disagree and are actually okay with putting in closer to an extra billion dollars into a rainy day fund yeah, that I already think has a billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, they, they are uh, of the belief that a recession is looming if we are not in one already. Well, and, and we'll leave aside the discussion of what the actual – uh, definition economic de economist definition of a recession is but and you know inflation has been easing over the past six months i would say that kansas traditionally goes into recessions later and comes out of them later than the country as a whole um but the way they phrased it was a billion dollars, at least a billion dollars. Here's the here's the thinking. The governor's budget director said, well, if we have $1.5 billion, that's roughly 15% of annual revenues, that would be enough to cover a year's wor the worst revenue drop we'd see in a year. Um, we could cover that. The Republicans are saying... We want $2 billion so that we could cover $1 billion a year of revenue loss over two years, thinking a recession would, would affect more than just one budget year. And so that's going to be, and of course, the more money you take out of the surplus and stick into the rainy day fund, that's less money available for spending and tax cuts. So you, the more you're, you're constraining yourself a little more, although... 
you know, even looking at the budget profiles from the governor's budget, you're still looking at an ending, at a high ending balance, about $1.9 billion. $1.98 billion. So one, almost two billion. Two. Yeah, you're right. And, and so that's still a lot, but I imagine some of what's driving this is officials looking four or five, six years down the road. I mean, what always seems to get Kansas in trouble is you do stuff that's great for two or three years. As I said on the last podcast, revenue growth slows down, and then suddenly two, three, four years out, you're looking at some kind of shortfall that you have to figure out. Well, and, you know, thinking about less money for tax cuts and spending, we talked in our session preview a lot about the tax cuts those were in there, but I think it was the spending that was that, that was maybe the most interesting, particularly in education. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the two big areas: special education. The governor wants to put um, three hundred and fifty million or so over the next five five years. years. It, it would be a sixty one percent increase in total dollars spending on special ed over five uh, years on special education. The goal of bringing us up to the ninety two percent threshold that the state statutorily which is the state is supposed to cover 92 percent of excess costs associated with those programs for kids with physical intellectual disabilities kids on the autism spectrum um, kids with behavioral problems and uh, also kids in gifted programs so that is a pretty substantial increase that's what education advocates and school districts have been looking for that's not necessarily what Republicans have been looking Though for. Education advocates, at least last year, wanted it more of an immediate increase. And in this case, Laura Kelly wants to phase it in over five years. Yeah, I think I think there's a concern. You know, if you if you do it all in one lump, then you're not only bringing down the you're not only cutting into the surplus today but you're committing the state to this really pretty sizable number going into the future and that that's it's just easier to do it phasing it in um i think that's the thinking anyway what what was interesting to me i mean i've always been struck by this 92 percent why isn't it (laughs) i you know this is the why isn't a hundred percent um and I can't remember back in the mist of time why they didn't make it 100%. Maybe they want some skin in the game from school districts. But um, be that as it may, there was this interesting little uh, commentary, running commentary from Christy Williams, who's the uh, an Augusta Republican, who's the chair of the House K-12 Budget Committee. And uh, um, it, it, seemed, it seemed to be on two fronts. First, I think she has questions about how excess costs are calculated. And then second, there was sort of this argument because of the way school funding works, you know, kids with extra needs, transportation, ESL, they're poor, so they need the lunches and breakfast. They count as more than one student, so you get extra money for them. And And her argument was there are funds being sent to school districts because of these special education students that then are not being spent on special education but going into the general uh, general spending. And, you know, that was – so the suggestion was that school districts – have enough money for special education 
if they would just allocate it correctly. So that all of these issues, and they're going to, she said they're going to look at the law, the special education law, and and talk about how it's written and maybe does it need to be revised. Um, but so clearly Republicans are she and maybe a lot of other Republicans aren't on board with just putting all this money into special ed to get up to this 92% threshold. And part of the reason for phasing it in over five years is there's a push to get the federal government to do more to cover that excess cost. Uh, Granted, the federal government now has a Republican-controlled House that yeah, they uh, do not, not want seem to increase spending. Yeah, they do. They would not seem to be the group that would be eager to do a major expansion of a piece of federal spending at this point. But that's Washington, and my folks in Washington are closer to that than I am. Well, and staying in the education spe- uh, realm, but moving to higher ed, that was yeah. probably the other big in- interesting piece. Uh, the governor wants to put in about, I think, all told, maybe around 110 million. 107, 110, something like that. Um, either one-time money or uh, most of it's one-time money. And it's mainly, it's like $20 million for uh, more financial aid, a little over $21 million for uh, to help. Uh, universities the region's universities combat inflation um notably that's only about half of what the regions requested uh in terms of new money which has led to some fears that uh they might increase tuition there's nothing stopping them like in last year's budget from increasing tuition Uh, the governor's office seems to believe that this amount of money would be enough to keep them from needing to increase tuition. Well, and Senate President Ty Masterson made the point that it would be a bad look for the universities to get more money on top of two straight years in which they have also gotten more money to then raise tuition. And it would be, I think it's safe to say that the the hearings with university leaders next year would be uh, a little spicy if they were to take that step. But uh, Well, the alternative is arguably to do what is causing all the controversy at Emporia State University and to go into the the faculty list and start an administrator list and start pruning it and start cutting back on programs and and that you know arguably at a time when there's still demand um, for it I mean I think there's some question just generally in society and among policymakers, whether emphasizing the idea of lots of people going to college as opposed to technical college or uh, job training or something like that has, is, is still a good thing. And so that discussion needs to be had. I mean, there was a question, uh, I think, uh, one, uh, how, Steve Howe? One of the he's the new chair of the higher ed budget committee. the new yeah. chair of the higher ed budget committee when he saw this twenty million propo- dollar proposal for additional student aid I mean his immediate question was well is that just for the state universities or does that include students at technical colleges and community colleges well and the budget has relatively I think relatively little new money for those um, which is which is interesting because. 
you know, there's been a discussion for some time about making higher ed more affordable. And one of the ways you can do that, if you're a parent, is you have your kid take basic classes, even you have them take their basic first two years, uh, the prerequisites in a community college much closer to home, even to where they can live at home or even in high school in some combination with the local community college. And that can save you a lot of money um, up front. And then you do the last two years at, you know, at a state university that that's the argument. I mean, Sam Brownback spent a lot of time trying to come up with a higher education package that would uh, cost less than $10,000 a year. Uh, It's hard. I mean, or, you know, be very affordable. I'm probably getting the dollar amounts wrong. But, I mean, when you start adding in all of the costs associated with going to a university, it's it's getting up there. I do miss the derb at K-State. Well, and Jason, uh, probably the the last big budget item for a lot of our listeners is uh, another pay raise for state workers. Yeah, uh, the governor wants a 5% across the board pay raise for most state workers. Uh, One group that isn't there is judicial workers. Uh, They have their own budget system that the governor did not touch uh but i believe that might have incorporated a pay raise uh but the governor's five percent pay raise on top of that there are certain classifications of workers that are so far below market that they would get additional raises to bring them closer but not all the way to being within the market rate and it comes as you know like everyone else uh employer-wise the state is having a harder time hiring um as you alluded to, a lot of the positions are below market rate, and we're trailing even neighboring states. Uh, there was a report that you but, did a story on, I believe, on on this very trend. But uh, some Republicans are hesitant for a for an across the board pay raise because there are some classifications where we pay more than uh, competing employers. Uh, so the argument is they do not need a raise relative to the other positions and they also want performance-based uh raises uh which was also discussed in that story a few months back well and the interesting thing i mean these discussions are not entirely new the interesting thing about that is back in the day the idea was you traded salary for benefits and security in government employment that you had more job protections, you had a better pension. Um, you know, for a long time, there weren't co uh, there were not copays in the health insurance that of course changed a while ago. So there were some benefits to being a state state worker. The, the issue with performance pay is there's a concern on a part of the big union for state workers coast kansas organization of state employees that there that is you know that that there that is ripe for abuse um in a state government context a supervisor might be able to deny you a a, a performance bonus 
for a whole myriad of reasons. I think that's a pretty standard concern amongst unions just generally across the board about how those how performance is evaluated and all that. So, I mean, that's going to be a pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, at one point, Sam Brownback had a program that uh, incentivized people by, you know, allowing agencies to offer things like bonuses and higher pay if somebody would leave the civil service. This all comes as Many employers, including state government, are struggling to find workers. Uh, I'm struck by Wednesday there was a snowstorm. Uh, I was in the elevator chatting with some people about difficulties getting to Topeka from out of town. And we do know that the Department of Transportation has said that it will take longer to clear roads when snowstorms happen because they're understaffed. There are, um, what is it, 2.5 people without jobs for every job opening in Kansas. Is that what I'm, or is it the opposite? I'm no, there's 2.5 for every open position there's... for, for every open position. No. What? Was it one unemployed person for every 2.5? I think positions? that's what I'm thinking. Yes. There was a mismatch. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm it's Friday and I'm, my, my brains are all, a little... there, in other words, there are fewer people than there are jobs is what the point was. And as we talk about increasing pay for state workers, uh, state lawmakers might also see a pay increase. Well, that that is going to be interesting. Um, I think they tried a general, a big boost in pay. They had a, about 30 years ago, the, le- the legislature formed a legislative compensation commission and it came up with a proposal in uh, in excess of 40 percent and um, I remember what the house speaker told me at the time uh, and he may be back it was Tim Schallenberger he's looking for this he's a candidate for this open senate seat in uh, southeast Kansas and he said yeah we knew it was going to be something like I'm paraphrasing yeah we knew it was going to be a hard sell we just kind of forgot what legislature wants to give it itself a 42 percent pay raise would look like an inch high type on the front page um but i mean it is but legislative pay has been a persistent sore point um it is hard to ask people to uh mess up their work lives their private work lives for you know what is basically now i think about 20 to 22 thousand dollars a year um and you know that in, that encourages retirees and wealthy people uh to run for the legislature it makes it hard for uh family uh people with families especially working class people with families young children to do it and you know it's it's a sign that kansas has always been uncomfortable with the idea of a full-time legislature They're, you know but well by the time this podcast drops you can go to cjonline.com and uh, i'll have a little bit of a deep dive into whether or not legislators should be uh, getting a pay raise and if you want to follow all of our 2023 session coverage and we know you do 
Of course you do. CJOnline.com is the place for you. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at CJOnline. And Jason, if they want to follow your live tweets and photos of John Hanna from committee hearings, where can they find you? At Jason underscore Tid. I do have a photo up there of John from a Wednesday public health and welfare meeting. And John also has a photo of me on his Twitter. Which is at APJD Hanna, by the way. And uh, if you want to read my my stories, www.apnews.com backslash hand movement backslash uh, Kansas. That'll, that'll pull them up. And I'm at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And if you want to listen to back episodes of the podcast to get in that session mood. And you do. And you do. We are uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are found. That's where we live. You can find all of our back episodes going back two full legislative sessions now. This is our third. And and, and we the, the podcast has a really good theme song theme music to it it's true well and and as we enter our third session i just uh thank all the folks who have been listening uh it, it uh, not a week goes by that i don't run into someone in the state house who is a listener and uh, we're grateful that anyone would spend any and tell time your friends yeah tell your friends and uh you know we don't bite so come say hi if you see us in the state house jason john jason andrew john <laughs> we got to cover all our bases. Yeah, this is another, the ending of, I keep saying the ending of the Waltons, if anybody gets that reference. What do you say we, we take a bit of a break and uh, we come back same time next week? Yeah. Three-day weekend? Three-day uh, three weekend sounds good to me, man. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoy a break or have enjoyed your break if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning and we will uh, catch you down the road. Have a good one, y'all.